Wherefore, by this suggestion, I was for a while made afraid to see my want of faith. But God would not suffer me thus to undo and destroy my soul, but did continually against this my sad and blind conclusion create still within me the suppositions, insomuch that I could not rest content until I did now come to some certain knowledge, whether I had faith or no. This all was running in my mind. But how if you want faith indeed? But how can you tell you have faith? And besides, I saw for certain that if I had not, I was sure to perish forever. So that though I endeavored at the first to overlook the business of faith, yet in a little time, I better considering the matter, was willing to put myself upon the trial, whether I had faith or no. But alas, poor wretch, so ignorant and brutish was I that I knew not to this day any more how to do it than I knew how to begin and accomplish a rare and curious piece of art which I never yet saw or considered. Wherefore, while I was thus considering and being put to a plunge about it, for you must know that as yet I had not in this matter broken my mind to anyone, only did hear and consider. The tempter came in with this delusion, that there was no way for me to know I had faith, but by trying to work some miracles, urging those scriptures that seemed to look that way for enforcing and strengthening his temptation. Nay, one day, as I was between Elstow and Bedford, the temptation was hot upon me to try if I had faith by doing some miracle, which miracle at this time was this. I must say to the puddles that were in the horse pads, be dry, and to the dry places, be you puddles. And truly one time I was going to say so indeed, but just as I was about to speak, this thought came into my mind, but go under yonder hedge and pray first that God would make you able. But when I had concluded to pray, this came hot upon me that if I prayed and came again and tried to do it, and yet did nothing withstanding, then to be sure I had no faith, but was a castaway and lost. Nay, thought I, if it be so, I will not try yet, but will stay a little longer. So I continued at a great loss, for I thought, if they only had faith which could do such wonderful things, then I concluded that for the present I neither had it, nor yet for the time to come was ever like to have it. Thus I was tossed between the devil and my own ignorance, and so perplexed, especially at some times, that I could not tell what to do.
Chapter 4 About this time the state and happiness of these poor people at Bedford were thus in a kind of vision presented to me. I saw as if they were on a sunny side of some high mountain, there refreshing themselves with the pleasant beams of the sun, while I was shivering and shrinking in the cold, afflicted with frost, snow, and dark clouds. Methought also between me and them, and I saw a wall that did not compass about this mountain. Now through this wall my soul did greatly desire to pass, concluding that if I could, I would even go into the very midst of them, and there also comfort myself with the heat of their sun. About this wall I bethought myself to go again and again, still prying as I went to see if I could find some way or passage by which I might enter therein, but none could I find for some time. At the last I saw, as it were, a narrow gap, like a little doorway in the wall, through which I attempted to pass. Now the passage being very straight and narrow, I made many efforts to get in, but all in vain, even until I was well nigh quite beat out by the striving to get in. At last, with great striving, methought I at first did get in my head. But after that, by a sidelong striving, my shoulders and my whole body, and then I was exceeding glad and went and sat down in the midst of them, and so was comforted with the light and heat of their sun. Now this mountain and wall were thus made out to me. The mountain signified the church of the living God, the sun that shone thereon, the comfortable shining of his merciful face on them that were therein. The wall, I thought, was the wall that did make separations between Christians and the world. And the gap that was in the wall, I thought, was Jesus Christ, who is the way to God the Father. John 14.6 and Matthew 7.14 But forasmuch as the passage was wonderful narrow, even though narrow, that I could not but with great difficulty enter in thereat. It showed me that none could enter into life but those that were in downright earnest. And unless also they left that wicked world behind them, for here there was only room for body and soul, but not for body and soul and sin. This resemblance abode upon my spirit many days, all which time I saw myself in a forlorn and sad condition, but yet was provoked to a vehement hunger and desire to be one of that number that did sit in the sunshine. Now also would I pray wherever I was, whether at home or abroad, in a house or field, and would also often, with lifting up of heart, 
sing that of the 51st Psalm. O Lord, consider my distress, for as yet I knew not where it was. Neither as yet could I attain to any comfortable persuasion that I had faith in Christ. But instead of having satisfaction here, I began to find my soul to be assaulted with fresh doubts about my future happiness especially with such as these, whether I was elected. But how if the day of grace should be past and gone? By these two temptations, I was very much afflicted and disquieted, sometimes by one and sometimes by the other of them. At first, to speak of that about my questioning my election, I found at this time that I thought I was in a flame to find the way to heaven and glory. And though nothing could beat me off from this, yet this question did so offend and discourage me that I was, especially sometime, as if the very strength of my body also had been taken away by the force and power thereof. The scripture did also to me to trample upon all my desires. It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that renneth, but of God that showeth mercy. With this scripture I could not tell what to do, for I evidently saw unless the great God of his infinite grace and bounty had voluntarily chosen me to be a vessel of mercy, though I should desire and long and labor until my heart did break, no good could come of it. Therefore this would stick with me. How can you tell that you are elected? And what if you are not? How then? O Lord, thought I, what if I am not indeed? It may be you are not, said the tempter. It may be so indeed, thought I. Why then, said Satan, you had as good leave off and strive no further. For if indeed you are not elected and chosen of God, there is no hope of your being saved. For it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that renneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Mercy, Romans 9.16 By these things I was driven to my wit's end, not knowing what to say or how to answer these temptations. Indeed, I little thought that Satan had thus assaulted me, but thought it was my own prudence thus to start the question. For that the elect only obtained eternal life, that I without scruple did heartily close with all, but that myself was one of them. There lay the question. Thus, therefore, for several days, I was greatly assaulted and perplexed, and was often, when I had been walking, ready to sink, where I went with faintness in my mind. But one day, After I had been so many weeks oppressed and cast down therewith, as I was now quiet 
giving up the ghost of all my hopes of ever attaining life. That sentence fell with weight upon my spirit. Look at the generations of old and see. Did ever any trust in God and were confounded? At which I was greatly enlightened and encouraged in my soul. For thus at that very instant it was expounded to me. Begin at the beginning of Genesis and read to the end of Revelation and see if you can find that there was ever any that trusted in the Lord and was confounded. So coming home, I presently went to my Bible to see if I could find that saying, not doubting, but to find it presently, for it was so fresh and with such strength and comfort on my spirit that it was as if it talked with me. Well, I looked, but found it not. Only it abode upon me. Then did I ask, first this good man and then another, if they knew where it was, but they knew no such place. At this I wondered that such a sentence should so suddenly and with such comfort and strength seize and abide upon my heart, and yet that none could find it, for I doubted not, but that it was in the Holy Scriptures. But thus I continued above a year and could not find the place. But at last, casting my eye upon the apocryphal books, I found it in Ecclesiasticus 2.10. This at the first did somewhat doubt me. But because by this time I had got more experience of the love and kindness of God, it troubled me less, especially when I considered that though it was not in those texts that we call holy and canonical, yet for as much as this sentence was the sum and substance of many of the promises, it was my duty to take the comfort of it. And I bless God for that word. For it was of good to me that worth doth still oft times shine before my face. After this, that other doubt did come with strength upon me. But how if the day of grace should be past and gone? How if you have overstood the time of mercy? Now I remember that one day as I was walking in the country, I was much in the thoughts of this. But how if the day of grace is past? And to aggravate my trouble, the tempter presented to my mind those good people of Bedford and suggested thus unto me that these being converted already, that were all <coughs> that God would save in those parts, and that I came too late. For these had got the blessings before I came. Now was I in great distress, thinking in very deed that this might well be so, wherefore I went up and down bemoaning my sad condition, counting myself far worse than a thousands fools for standing off the swang, and spending so many years in sin as I had done, still crying out, 
Oh, that I had turned sooner. Oh, that I had turned seven years ago. It made me also angry with myself to think that I should have no more wit but to trifle away my time till my soul in heaven were lost. But when I had long been vexed with this fear and was scarce able to take one step more just about the same place where I received my other encouragements these words broke in upon my mind compel them to come in that my house may be filled and yet there is room Luke fourteen twenty-two. these words but especially those and yet there is room were sweet words to me for truly I thought that by them I saw there was place enough in heaven for me and moreover that when the Lord Jesus did speak these words he then did think of me and that he knowing that the time would come that I should be afflicted with fear that there was no place left for me in his bosom did before speak this word and leave it upon record that I might find help thereby against this vile temptation this I then verily believed in the light and encouragement of this word I went for some time and the comfort was the more when I thought that the Lord Jesus should think on me so long ago and that he should speak those words on purpose for my sake for I did think verily that he did on purpose speak them to encourage me with all. But I was not without my temptations to go back again. Temptations, I say, both from Satan, mine own heart, and carnal acquaintances. But I thank God these were outweighed by that sound sense of death and of the day of judgment which abode, as it were, continually in my view. I would often also think of Nebuchadnezzar, of whom it was said that he had given him all the kingdoms of the earth. Daniel 5, 18 and 19. Yet, thought I, if this great man had all his portion in this world, one hour in hellfire would make him forget all. This consideration was a great help to me. I was also almost made about this time to see something concerning the beasts that Moses counted clean and unclean. I thought those beasts were type of men, the clean types of them that were the people of God, but the unclean types of such as were children of the wicked one. Now I read that the clean beast chewed the cud. That is, thought I, they show us what we must feed upon, the word of God. They also parted the hoof. I thought that signified we must part if we would be saved with the ways of the ungodly men. And also in further reading about them, I found that though we did chew the cud as the hare, Yet if we walked with claws like a dog, or if we did part the hoof like the swine, yet if we did not chew the cud as the sheep, 
We are still for all that but unclean. For I thought the hair to be a type of those that talk of the word, yet walk in the ways of sin. And that the swine was like him that parteth with his outward pollution, but still wanted the word of faith, without which there would be no way of salvation. Let a man be ever so devout. Deuteronomy chapter 14. After this I found, by reading the word, that those that must be glorified with Christ in another world must be called by him here, called to the partaking of a share in his word and righteousness, and to the comforts and first fruits of his spirit, and to a peculiar interest in all those heavenly things which do indeed prepare the soul for that rest in a house of glory which is in heaven above. Here again, I was at a very great stand, not knowing what to do, fearing I was not called. For, thought I, if I be not called, what then can we do? Good. None but those who are effectually called inherit the kingdom of heaven. But oh, how I now love those words that spoke of a Christian's calling. As when the Lord said to one, Follow me, and to another, Come after me. And oh, thought I, that he would say so to me too. How gladly would I run after him. I cannot now express with what longings and breathings in my soul I cried to Christ to call me. Thus I continued for a time all on a flame to be converted to Jesus Christ and did also see at that day such glory in a converted state that I could not be contented without a share therein. Gold? Could it have been gotten for gold? What would I have given for it? Had I had a whole world, it had all gone ten thousand times over for this, that my soul might have been in a converted state. How lovely now was everyone in my eyes that I thought to be a converted man or woman. They shone. They walked like a people that carried the broad seal of heaven about them. Oh, I saw the lot was fallen to them in pleasant places, and that they had a godly heritage. Psalm 16, 6. But that which made me sick was that of Christ in Mark. He went up into a mountain and called to him whom he would, and they came unto him. Mark 3:13. The scripture made me faint in fear. Yet he kindled a fire in my soul. That which made me fear was this, lest Christ should have no liking to me, for he called whom he would. But oh, the glory that I saw in that condition did still so engage my heart that I could seldom read of any that Christ did call. But I presently wished, would that I had been in their clothes, would that I had been born Peter, would that I had been born John, or would that I had been by and heard him when he called them 
And would I have cried, O Lord, call me also. But, oh, I feared he would not call me. And truly the Lord let me go thus many months together and showed me nothing. Either that I was already or should be called hereafter. But at last, after much time spent and many groans to God that I might be made partaker of the holy and heavenly calling, that word came in upon me, I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. For the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Joel 3.21 These words, I thought, were sent to encourage me to wait still upon God and signified unto me that if I were not already, yet the time might come when I might be in truth converted unto Christ. About this time I began to break my mind to those poor people in Bedford and to tell them of my condition, which when they heard, they told Mr. Gifford of me, who himself also took occasion to talk with me and was willing to be well persuaded of me, though I think from little grounds. But he invited me into his house, where I should hear him confer with others about the dealings of God with their souls, from all of which I still receive more conviction, and from that time began to see something of the vanity and inward wretchedness of my wicked heart, for as yet I knew no great matter therein, but now it began to be discovered unto me, and also to work at a rate it never did before. Now I evidently found that lusts and corruptions put forth themselves within me in wicked thoughts and desires, which I did not regard before. My desires also for heaven and life began to fail. I found also that whereas before my soul was full of longing after God, now it began to hanker after every foolish vanity, yea, my heart would not be moved to mind that which was good. It began to be careless both of my soul and heaven. It would now continually hang back both to and in every duty, and was as a clog upon the leg of a bird to hinder him from flying. Nay, thought I, now I grow worse and worse, and now I am further converted from conversion than ever I was before. Wherefore I began to sink greatly in my soul and began to entertain such discouragement in my heart as laid me as low as hell. If now I should have burnt at the stake, I could not believe that Christ had a love for me. Alas, I could neither hear him nor see him nor savor any of his things. I was driven as with a tempest. My heart would be unclean, and the Canaanites would dwell in the land. Sometimes I would tell my condition to the people of God, which when they heard they would pity me and would tell me of the promises. But they had as good, 
but they had as good have told me that I must reach the sun with my finger as have bidden me to receive or rely upon the promises and as soon I should have it done. All my sense and feeling were against me and I saw I had a heart that would sin and lay under a law that would condemn. These things have often made me think of the child which the father brought to Christ, who, while he was yet coming to him, was thrown down by the devil, and also so rent and torn by him that he lay and wallowed foaming. Mark 9.20, Luke 9.42 Further in these days I would find my heart to shut itself up against the Lord and against His Holy Word. I have found my unbelief to set, as it were, to shoulder to the door to keep Him out. And that to even then, when I have with many a bitter sigh cried, Good Lord, break it open. Lord, break these gates of brass and cut these bars of iron asunder. Psalms 107.16 Yet that word would sometimes create in my heart a peaceful pause. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Isaiah 45.5 But all this while, as to the act of sinning, I was never more tender than now my hinder parts were inward. I durst not take a pin or stick, though but so big as a straw, for my conscience now was sore and would smart at every touch. I could not now tell how to speak my words, for fear I should misplace them. Oh, how cautiously did I then go in all I did or said. I found myself as in the miry bog that shook if I did but stir and was as there left both of God in Christ and the Spirit in all good things. But I observed, though I was such a great sinner before conversion, yet God never much charged the guilt of the sins of my ignorance upon me. Only he showed me I was lost if I had not Christ because I had been a sinner. I saw that I wanted a perfect righteousness to present me without fault before God. And this righteousness was nowhere to be found but in the person of Jesus Christ. But my original and inward pollution that that was my plague and affliction, that I saw at a dreadful rate always putting forth itself within me, that I had the guilt of to amazement by reason of that, I was more loathsome in mine own eyes than a toad, and I thought I was so in God's eyes too. Sin and corruption, I said, 
would as naturally bubble out of my heart as water would bubble out of a fountain. I thought now that everyone had a better heart than I. I could have changed heart with anybody. I thought none but the devil himself could equal me for inward wickedness and pollution of mind. I fell, therefore, at the sight of my own vileness, deeply into despair. For I concluded that this condition that I was in could not stand with a state of grace. Sure, I thought, I am forsaken of God. Sure, I am given up to the devil and to a reprobate mind. And thus I continued for a long while, even for some years together. While I was thus afflicted with the fears of my own damnation, there were two things would make me wonder. The one was, when I saw old people hunting after the things of this life, as if they should live here always. The other was, when I found professors much distressed and cast down, when they met with outward losses, as of husband, wife, child, etc. Lord, thought I, what a do is here about such little things as this. What seeking after carnal things by some, and what grief in others for the loss of them. If they so much labor after and shed so many tears for the things in this present life, how... Am I to be bemoaned, pitied and prayed for? My soul is dying. My soul is damned. Were my soul but in a good condition, and were it, were I but sure of it, ah, how rich should I esteem myself, though blessed but with bread and water. I should count those but small afflictions and should bear them as little burdens. A wounded spirit can bear. And though I was much troubled and tossed and afflicted with the sight and sense and terror of my own wickedness, yet I was afraid to let this sight and sense go quite off my mind. For I found that unless guilt of conscience was taken off the right way, that is, by the blood of Christ, a man grew rather worse for the loss of his trouble of mind than before. Wherefore, if my guilt lay hard upon me, then would I cry that the blood of Christ might take it off. And if it was going off without it, for the sense of sin would be sometimes as if it would die and go quite away, then I would also strive to fetch it upon my heart again, by bringing the punishment of sin and hellfire upon my spirit, and would cry, Lord, let it not go off my heart, but in the right way, by the blood of Christ and the application of thy mercy through him to my soul. For that scripture did lay much upon me. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22 
and that which made me the more afraid of this was because I had seen some who though when they were under the wound of conscience would cry and pray yet feeling rather present ease for their trouble and pardons for their sin cared not how they lost their guilt so they got it out of their minds now having it got off the wrong way was not sanctified unto them but they grew harder and blinder and more wicked after their trouble this made me afraid it made me cry to God the more that it might not be so with me and now I was sorry that God had made me man for I feared I was a reprobate (coughs) I counted man unconverted as the most doleful of all creatures thus being afflicted and tossed about my sad condition I counted myself alone and above the most of men unblessed yea I thought it impossible that I should attain to so much godliness of heart as to thank God that he had made me a man man indeed is the most noble by creation of all creatures in the visible world but by sin he has made himself the most ignoble the beasts birds fishes I have blessed their condition for they had not a sinful nature they were not obnoxious to the wrath of God they were not to go to hellfire after death I could therefore have rejoiced had my condition been as any of theirs chapter 5 in this condition I went a great while but when the comforting time was come I heard one preach a sermon on these words in the song behold thou art fair my love behold thou art fair song 4-1 but at that time he made these two words my love his chief subject matter from which after he had a little opened the text he drew these several conclusions one that the church and so every saved soul is Christ's love when loveless two Christ's love without a cause three Christ's love which has been hated of the world four Christ's love when temptation and under desertion five Christ's love from first to last but I got nothing by what he said at present only when he came to the application of the fourth particular this was the word he said if it be so that the saved soul is Christ's love when under temptation and desertion then poor tempted soul when thou art assaulted and afflicted with temptations and the hidings of his face yet think on these two words my love 
still. So as I was coming home, these words came again into my thoughts. And I will remember as they came in, I say thus in my heart, What shall I get by thinking on these two words? This thought had no sooner passed through my heart, but these words began thus to kindle in my spirit. Thou art my love. Thou art my love. Twenty times together. And still as they ran in my mind, they waxed stronger and warmer, and began to make me look up. But being as yet between hope and fear, I still replied in my heart, But is it true? But is it true? At which that sentence fell upon me, He wist not that it was true, which was done unto him of the angels. Acts 12, 9 then I began to give place to the word, which with power did over and over make this joyful sound within my soul. Thou art my love, thou art my love, and nothing shall separate thee from my love. And with that, my heart was filled, full of comfort and hope. And now I could believe that my sins would be forgiven me. Yea, I was now so taken with the love and mercy of God that I remember I could not tell how to contain till I got home. I thought I could have spoken of His love and have told of His mercy to me. Even to the very crows that sat upon the plowed lands before me had they been capable of understanding me. Wherefore I said in my soul with much gladness, Well, would I had a pen and ink here, I would write this down before I go any further, for surely I shall not forget this forty years hence. But alas, within less than forty days I begin to question all again, which made me begin to question all still. Yet still at times I was helped to believe that it was a true manifestation of grace unto my soul. Though I had lost much of the life and Savior of it. Now about a week or a fortnight after this I was much followed by the scripture. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. And sometimes it would sound so loud within me, yea, as it were called so strongly after me that once above all the rest I turned my head over my shoulder thinking verily that some man had behind me called me. But at a great distance methought he called so loud it came as I have thought since to stir me up to prayer and to watchfulness. It came to acquaint me that a cloud and a storm were coming down upon me, but I understood it not. Also, as I remembered, that time that it called to me, so loud was the last time that it sounded in my ears, but methinks I hear still with what a loud voice these words, Simon, Simon, sounded in mine ears. I thought verily, as I have told you, that somebody had called after me, 
that was half a mile behind me, and although that was not my name, yet it made me suddenly look behind me, believing that he called so loud meant for me. So foolish was I and ignorant that I knew not the reason of the sound, which, as I did both see and feel soon after, was sent from heaven as an alarm to awaken me to provide for what was coming. Only I would muse and wonder in my mind to think what should be the reason of the scripture. And that at this rate so often and so loud it should still be sounding and rattling in my ears. But as I said before, I soon after perceived the end of God therein. For about, for about the space of a month after, a very great storm came down upon me, which handled me twenty times worse than all I had met with before. It came stealing upon me now by one piece and then by another. First, all my comfort was taken from me. Then darkness seized upon me, after which whole floods of blasphemies, both against God, Christ, and the scriptures were poured upon my spirit, to my great confusion and astonishment. These blasphemous thoughts were sought such as stirred up questions in me against the very being of God and his only beloved Son, as whether there were in truth a God or Christ, and whether the Holy Scriptures were not rather a fable and cunning story than the holy and pure word of God. The tempter would also much assault me with this. How can you tell but that the Turks had as good scriptures to prove their Mohammed the Savior as we have to prove our Jesus? And could I think that so many ten thousands in so many countries and kingdoms should be without the knowledge of the right way to heaven if there were indeed a heaven, and that we only, who live in a corner of the earth, should alone be blessed therewith. Every one doth think his own religious rightest, Jews and Moors and pagans. And how, if all our faith in Christ and scriptures should be but a think-so too? Sometimes I have endeavored to argue against these suggestions and to set some of the sentences of blessed Paul against them, but alas, I quickly felt when I thus did such arguings as these would return again upon me. Though we made so great a matter of Paul and of his words, yet how could I tell but that in very deed he, being a subtle and cunning man, might give himself up to deceive with strong delusions, and also take the pains and travail to undo and destroy his fellows. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, 
in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.